Forget for a moment about private equity involvement in healthcare and think about retail involvement in healthcare. Would you go to an Amazon.com primary care doctor? Plus, the midterms are coming up and healthcare is one of the top worries among voters. From Fulcrum Strategies and Flatlining.net, this is the Flatlining Podcast. One thing we've noticed from listeners of the Flatlining Podcast is that not all of you have signed up for our weekly e-newsletter. You can do so now at flatlining.net. Each week, we share some of the most interesting and relevant healthcare news-related items we find and how they might affect you, your practice, or your patients. It also includes a weekly column from me. Sign up now for the Friday Pulse Check at flatlining.net. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast, the podcast that brings you great healthcare analysis and discussion each week. I'm Matthew Hamley from Flatlining.net, and with me is the President and CEO of Fulcrum Strategies, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you? I am good, sir. I hope you are. I am, and I'm excited to be talking a little bit about um, what some might call healthcare innovation today. Uh, we will get to how retail uh, giants, including uh, Walgreens and CVS, which were already sort of in the healthcare industry with their minute clinics and, and their pharmacies, but also giants like Amazon.com who are interested in getting into primary care. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the program, but we want to start with uh, talking politics just a little bit. And this is because uh, the midterms are coming up here in November, and new polling from the Kaiser Family Foundation shows that Americans are concerned about abortion as well as other health care issues uh, coming up ahead of the midterms. And I'll just run some numbers by you, Ron, real quick as we get started. Um, voters tag, and this is, I want to do point out that this is registered voters uh, and not likely voters, because that does play a role when you do analysis on these. Uh, out of registered voters, these are the percentages of people who said that their top issues or that these issues were very important. And at number one was obviously inflation, including the cost of gas right now at 74 percent. Uh, gun violence was at 57 percent. Healthcare costs, including drug costs, was at 55 percent. Abortion was at 55 percent. Uh, the federal budget deficit was at 46 Climate was at 39 and COVID-19 was at 33%. So healthcare is up there in the top three. And Ron, that's a pretty typical place for it to be when we're entering any election, I would think. Yeah, I mean, healthcare has been an issue now for a couple of decades as far as um, on voters' minds. And so that's not at all surprising that, that healthcare is up in the top items. Do you think with the Biden administration classifying um, gun violence as a public health issue that that... Um, that's going to have any effect on that whatsoever? Um, I, I don't think so. I think the people who are concerned about gun violence are concerned about it, regardless of whether it's labeled as a health issue or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the, the Biden administration is trying to do everything they can to, you know, to gain as much traction for midterms and then the next uh, presidential election, just like the Republicans are trying to do everything they can. So, but I don't think classifying gun violence as a health issue is really going to make that much difference about it at all, to be honest with you. 
No, I, I think I generally agree, and I think many health experts agree as well, other than it may be a way for them to get more funding quickly for it. Um, that would be the only guess I could have, because it seems like money seems to make things talk a lot. Hmm. Um, I don't want it to turn into our sticky baby, and, and by that I mean just, you know, when you're handed a sticky baby, it's impossible to get rid of it, and you're stuck talking about it all the time. But abortion is one of those top issues, and it's tied for health care. And I'm not going to say doctors are a voting block because they're certainly not. They're as diverse as the American population is. Um, how do you think doctors generally feel about abortion uh, going into this midterm? Is it something that you think will move them or the general public to you know, ask their doctor about what their opinion is? Well, you know, I think, first of all, you've got to sort of segment the whole doctor population into, you know, those that as part of their practice deal with Mm-hmm. women's health issues sure. um, versus those that don't. I, you know, I don't know is there's a, you know, cohesive doctor opinion on abortion for folks that aren't in the women's health care business. I can tell you that from talking to and, and um, my conversations with, you know, obstetricians, for example, and those emergency medicine physicians who as a regular basis deal with women's health, it, it is an issue for them. Um, you know, they feel like, uh, many of them feel like their hands are being tied with the those states that are pursuing very restrictive um, uh, anti-abortion legislation because, you know, they paint a lot of pictures where they say, well, for me, it's not a, it's not an abortion issue, it's treating the female. You know, what do I do with an ectopic pregnancy? I can't, sure. you know, treat that. Or what do I do with this? Or what do I do with this? So, um, but again, that's a very small portion of physicians who, mm-hmm. you know, who deal with women's health issues. For the others, I think it's really however they feel about it from a personal perspective. Right. And that's that's really what I was picturing as well, was that, you know, it, it's, it's interesting when people say, you know, doctors as a group. All doctors think this when it's, you know, doctors are pretty much every, anyone you could think of is... You know, any political person you could think of could be a, a doctor in that circumstance. There's no voting block um, right. in that particular instance. Um, when the Affordable Care Act, we, we just had, okay, we'll, we'll move on a little bit to that. Um, talk about people's worries, um, sort of how we talked about with the worries with the COVID vaccine. Um, most adults labeled their answer as very worried for these issues. And gas and tra- transportation costs was uh, at the top at 42%. Um, unexpected medical bills was at 32%, utilities at uh, 33, food at 32, uh, rent and mortgage at 28, health insurance deductibles were at 20%, and drug costs were at 20%, as well as health insurance premiums at 16%. Um, what do you make of the fact that um, five, four of those things in there are healthcare related? Well, I, th- I think there's a bigger issue here, which is there's a common thread on every single issue there and it's what happens when an economy is in a recession when inflation is high when there are concerns about the future of the economy every Mm -hmm. single item in there is somebody saying i'm not sure i can pay for this right you know i'm not sure i have enough money and if you look at them you know i don't know if i can fill up the tank on my car i don't know if i could pay a medical bill if i suddenly had to go to the er i don't know if i can turn on the electricity i don't know if i can feed myself i don't know if i can pay rent all of these have to do with personal financial issues now healthcare being a big chunk of people's personal financial issues means that it's in there Mm -hmm. um but it's sort of like the old you know it's the economy stupid right well you know 
when you're not sure whether you can put gas in your car or put food on the table, some of the other esoteric things like war or gun violence start to fall to the wayside because these mm-hmm. are, you know, set, you know, uh, primary needs kind of thing, food, shelter, that kind of stuff become first. And given the state of the economy right now, it's not surprising to me that these are the things that flow to the top. Mm-hmm. And you might have thought that um, if, if the election were held early this year or late last year, that the Afghanistan pullout would have been a top issue or the war in the Ukraine, which those are polling at 1% and below as an issue for Americans right now. We just had uh, the Democrats pass last week uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which, as we talked about on the program, um, doesn't really reduce inflation all that much. It includes some health care measures that for some people will, you know, directly cap some some out of pocket uh, expenses for those on Medicare. And it allows for the negotiation of, you know, 10 to 20 drugs a year uh, starting in 2025, I believe it was. Uh, Democrats are really pushing this as a victory uh, for health care reform and how it's going to save so much people money. Um, and as we discussed, it's really not that big, but their marketing is, is very, and I wrote on the Friday Pulse Check that it's really a big, elaborate marketing thing they're doing right now, and they're staying on point with it. Um, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, Democrats held the Senate, and then Republicans picked up seats in the following midterm. And in the House, they picked up 63 to seats, which was the steepest defeat since 1938. And that was in reaction and because of their united messaging about the Affordable Care Act. Do you think Republicans could do the same with the Inflation Reduction Act? You know, I, I think they could if that were the only issue. Um, if you think back to when the Affordable Care Act was passed, it was really the main issue. And it mm-hmm. was... You know, and many people look back at that as the beginning of what has now become incredible animosity between the parties. It was really the first time that a major piece of legislation was passed with purely a partisan vote and through the reconciliation process, which really felt like it was being jammed down the throats of the other party. Now, since then, that's been done many times, but it was kind of the beginning and it became sort of the main issue rallying cry for the Republicans, and it worked. But we're in a very different environment now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the whole thing about the Inflation Reduction Act is only one of a myriad of really hot-button things, and so it's difficult to tell how much traction the Republicans will get out of that versus one of any four or five other things that different individuals will have as their primary rationale for how they vote. And and that's a very different environment than when the ACA got passed. Not only that, but Republicans really haven't been messaging at all on the Inflation Reduction Act, not the same way that they did for the Affordable Care Act. At least it doesn't seem to be a unified message. It really isn't. Um, And that's one of the other things that's going on right now is there's fragmentation about, you know, what message um, either party is trying to do. And, and, um, you know, what seems to be their sort of, you know, their point. Um, this is a, a bizarre midterm, um, unlike anything we've ever seen. And we're not sure that we can even trust the polling um, right. mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. So, I mean, I mean, when, and I know, you know, this is sort of off the topic of midterm because it gets into the next presidential election, but when was the last time an incumbent president in their first term was by its own party not their favorite candidate for the next term right 
I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of polls that show that the majority of Democrats don't want Biden to run again. That's never happened yeah. with an incumbent president in their first term. Um, that's his own party, you know. So we're in we're in new territory here when it comes to midterms and the next presidential election. Not only that, they're the vice president's not popular as well. Um, I've always thought it was weird that they picked her Kamala Harris to be the vice president, given that she dropped out before the Iowa mid before the Iowa caucus uh, back in uh, 2016 or 2020. Excuse me. Um, so it's interesting to see who what will happen, you know, coming up with with that, whether or not Biden will run again and um, whether or not the party could be unified behind him. Uh, we talked a little bit about abortion already. It, it will. I think it will probably be more of a state-by-state issue, only because that's now the nature of, of how the law is going to work. Um, Kaiser Family Foundation says um, that abortion is essentially fully banned in nine states and fully available in 25, with the others having either no laws on the books about it or mm-hmm. um, restricting it or giving access to it, or the others having some mix of, of, of laws. Do you think it'll be enough... Um, do you think that will be a driver enough for for people to get out and vote that will push Democrats over the top? Because I know here in Michigan, they credit marijuana with the fact that we have a, a Democratic governor now because it was on the ballot at one point and it seemed to push people, push them over the top compared to how they were, they thought they were polling. Um, let me start with a big if. Sure. If the polls can be trusted. Um, and that's a big if because, you know, there's a lot of people that look at polls right now and say that in this day and age in society, we're not sure they have the same statistical validity. But if they can be trusted, um, the Supreme Court ruling on abortion may be the worst thing that happened to Republicans in a long time, because it seems to be doing two things. One, highly energizing the Democrat vote to turn out the vote. And turning out the vote, especially in a midterm, is important. But two, there's a lot of polls that show that the majority of Republican women are in favor of a woman's right to choose. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the last thing you want to do is energize your opposition and do damage to your own base. Right. We're starting to see a perfect example that I point to. And I don't know that this is necessarily just abortion, but it's one of those strange polling things. The governor race for the state of Texas is almost a dead heat right now. It's within the margin of error. Mm -hmm. Well, who would have thunk that a Democrat would ever have an opportunity to to be in a race for governor of Texas? Yeah. Um, You know, we're seeing some other odd things across the country. And I think, you know, abortion is an issue, a reason. You know, Trump himself is an issue and a reason. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, the candidates that are still running on the fact that, you know, the the last election was stolen. I mean, there that's what I mean, but there's just so many variables out there. None of it points to people very excited about who they're voting for. It seems to be what thing angers you the most and vote against that. Right. Um, and that's another bizarre thing. But yeah. Yeah, abortion, I think, could definitely be enough to put the Democrats over if the polls are to be trusted. Well, and that's a very good point. And I know um, I've always liked uh, 538's analysis. And they, mm-hmm. they like a lot of people, got 2016 completely wrong and mm-hmm. stepped back and said, we need to reevaluate how we do things because clearly we did something that didn't work. And I, and I do want to point out, um, before someone digs into it and, and you know sends us an angry tweet or something like that, for the Kaiser family poll— 
they appear to be more interested in um, race and income demographics to compare some of these stats. So if you do look at it, most of the people that answer this, well, not most, but uh, almost 50% of the people that answer this poll were registered Democrats and the other um, two quarters were registered, were split between independents and Republicans. Mm -hmm. But it appears Kaiser's more interested in, in racial and economic right. diversity in their polling. So that's why that is. Um, but it, it's interesting you point that out that there's, we have a lot of people that were, we've entered the, what we thought was going to be a one-time thing with the hold your nose and vote for the candidate that's least worst in 2016, mm -hmm. that seems to be the norm, even here in um, Michigan, where you didn't have any Republican candidates that would acknowledge the validity of the 2020 election mm -hmm. um, running for governor. Uh, it did lead to an interesting thing where we have now the first time we have two women running against each other for governor, but we'll see how that turns, both with very diverging views on abortion, with very diverging mm -hmm. views on on uh, Donald Trump and and so on. So it will be interesting to see. But so you so just to clarify, you do think if the polling's right, you think that um, abortion could push Democrats over the top. On its yeah, own. I mean, it, it 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 is one of those issues that is the um, looks like it could be the double whammy, which means that, again, it excites your opposition and and erodes your base, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, a, a killer. Right. Um, you know, gun violence to some degree seems to have similar polling as that gun control and mm -hmm. that legislation seems to have very similar polling um, for either party. I mean, it, you know, the the potential um, candidates for president have that. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot in the Republican side to look at polling and say, man, we hope Biden runs because his own party doesn't like him and it will right. it'll erode, you know, their base and, and energize ours versus somebody different and the vice versa. The Democrats are pointing and said, geez, I really hope Trump does run because it'll energize our base and, you know, and, and potentially erode the Republicans. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would, I would much rather try to handicap the next Kentucky Derby right now than <laughs> handicap any of those two races. Yeah. And I don't even know who, which horses are in the next Kentucky Derby. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could pick a number and probably have a better chance than being oh, yeah. accurate on what's going to happen in the, next two races well you know i i do like uh brit hume over on fox news has always been a big fan of looking at the the vegas odds on on different elections and i haven't <laughs> looked at it yet but that's that's something i'd be interested to see um as we move forward uh i did a real clear i did a quick look at real clear politics today at the state of the union um polling and just looking at it now there are no polls on here where biden is listed as approve or the country is heading in the right track with in some cases pretty significant spreads um a wednesday poll from last week from the economist in yougov has 20 percent of people saying the the country's in the right direction 70 percent saying it's on the wrong direction um a poll from monday of this week from rasmussen has 54 percent of people disapproving of of biden's uh job as as president He's only had one real big legislative victory after Build Back Better failed, and that's the Inflation <laughs> Reduction Act. Do you think that, going to the opposite now, do you think that alone could give Republicans enough animo to say they haven't done anything for two years, you know, give us a chance? Yeah, I mean, you know, that definitely is and should be a big part of their playbook, is that things got worse, the economy's not good. I mean, it, you know... 
if you're the party that's not in power during a bad economy, that's a great play to make. You know, mm -hmm. we, it'd be better if it was us, you know, because when things are bad, it's easy to look for something, just any change must be better. Um, and that definitely could be, you know, if he's the next, um, you know, running in the next uh, presidential election. Um, but again, there, we get back to there's just so many other variables, it's hard to say, well, is that one going to be the one that's going to be enough? Um, and there's definitely going to be things that are going to happen between now and then that we sort of can't factor into it. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be honest, if, if I were a betting man, and I'm, I'm not, I'd bet that Biden doesn't run uh, mm -hmm. again. Okay. Um, and not necessarily because I don't think he wants to. I think his party's going to explain to him that, you know, it can't happen. No. If I'm doing strategy for the Democrat Party, I'm not making that announcement until much later, right. um, because I don't want to give them a chance to, to, you know, to start taking shots at whoever would run. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, that's uh, who knows whether they'll run again. Um, one poll that um, 538 cited has only one percent of Americans thinking COVID is the most important issue. Um, and that COVID, COVID policy from going back to the 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 early stages of the pandemic when we had all the shutdowns and mask mandates, COVID policy, and quite frankly, now um, how much they don't like the FBI seems to be the only unifying Republican message. Um, I don't think that's good for them going into this midterm. No, I, I don't either. Um, especially, I mean, COVID's over. I mean, for the for most right. Americans, that yep. poll shows it. So stop talking about it. Um, it's, you know, it'd be like me, you know, trying to run on a campaign of, you know, of, of we should get out of World War II. All right, it's over, man. Right. Let's yeah. go. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the whole FBI thing, that one's dicey, especially yeah. for the Republican side, because, you know, then you're into, wait a minute, are you anti-law and order? And so that one's a difficult one to play. You know, I think definitely if I were a strategist for the Republicans, I would say you got to hammer the economy, hammer the economy and say, mm -hmm. you know, this is what happens when Democrats get off, get in office, whether it was Biden's fault or not is irrelevant. That's your message. And then you've got to have something because that's the why you don't want to vote for that, that guy or those yep. guys. And then you have something for why you got to vote for me. I don't see either party much right now. Well, I guess the Democrats more than the Republicans. I don't see the Republicans much saying this is why you should vote for us. The Democrats at least are starting to try to get to say, well, if you vote for us, we'll, you know, we'll protect the rights for you know women to choose an abortion, mm -hmm. and we'll try to do this, we'll try to do that. But um, hey, look at us, we we lowered, we're negotiating drug costs now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't like the the Republican strategy of of playing the COVID game, and you know we don't like you know defund the FBI. I don't think that's a winning strategy. Hammer mm -hmm. the economy and then come up with something that you'll do better. I, I will say I'm coming out of feeling a little vindicated because that's what I had, I had written back when we just started flatlining.net, uh, talking mm -hmm. about the State of the Union, when, when Biden spent a lot of time talking about changes to the Affordable Care Act and his policy, and the Republican response was, we didn't like COVID. Um, yeah. And it appears that it's panned out that way. Uh, yeah. Finally, in this topic, 538's Nate Silvers says that Democrats' chances at retaining the House are improving, and it's he says it's in part because of the Dobbs decision. Um, they... For, so far for this entire election cycle have been predicting that Democrats will lose the House, and they still are predicting that on their website. But he thinks that it could be an upset, like a Trump victory in 2016, because of the weird place that we're in. Do you think that's a that's a 
fair analysis of why we shouldn't try and make any bets one way or the other in this election? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you if you just said we've got a midterm election with an economy that's in recession and inflation at a, you know, higher than it's been in many, many years and a very tight going into a very tight house. If all that was the variable, the answer would be, oh, of course, the Republicans are going to take the house. They're going to take it in a big way. And I still think there's better than a 50% chance they take a majority in the House. Sure. But if you just lined up those variables, it should be a no-brainer. The fact that it isn't and that it might be a huge upset tells you how many other variables are in play here. Mm -hmm. um, to me, the more interesting thing is the Senate um, yeah. than the House. Because, yeah. you know, every almost every incumbent president in their midterm lose some seats in the house the dems don't have many to lose so that one should go but when you look at the senate there's something like 35 seats open okay there's a mm -hmm. third of the senate and more of those are republican seats defending than democrat seats defending and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know the democrats are going to pick up some seats but I would not be surprised, but what the Democrats lose the majority in the House, not by much, but they, you know, the Republicans have a, a slim majority, but that the Democrats end up net picking up a couple of seats in the Senate and go from 50-50 to, I don't know, 53-47, something like that. Um, and we get this sort of mixed, um, uh, you know, mixed control scenario, which would be very mm -hmm. interesting. And it's it's interesting, too, that it seems like some of Democrats, uh, Republican allies in the Senate, such as Lisa Murkowski and, and, and others, um, they are they're definitely at risk of having a, a Trump backed Republican um, facing them in their primary. I know uh, mm -hmm. Alaska's primary well, it's tomorrow from the day we're recording is yesterday from the day this comes out on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So we obviously don't have the results for that now. Um, but they, uh, of course, Murkowski is someone who has openly said she's not interested in seeing Trump run for president again. But that almost seems to be the litmus test in, in many of these states um, about whether or not someone gets the nominee. Um, so we'll see have, have to see how that pans out and whether or not they think they can win a general on that on that message. Right. Well, and that's the big thing is, you know, it's one thing to win your primary. It's a whole different thing to win a general. And, and there's going to be a big question that we're going to see in the midterms both in the House and the Senate, is, is some of these people that maybe won a primary, you know, does that help or hurt them in their mm -hmm. area for the general? Um, and that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, we'll have all of the links uh, to this polling, uh, the polling data from the Kaiser Family Foundation, as well as Nate Silver's analysis at 538.com, mm -hmm. linked in the show notes of this episode of the Flatlining Podcast. Turning now to healthcare news, uh, something came across my desk today that I was interested to see, and that was that CVS Health, the pharmacy retail giant and the owner of Aetna Health Insurance, is announcing they're expanding their minute clinics to include primary care in an effort to make it more of a doctor's office. They're stepping up to compete with Walgreens, who announced similar plans back in 2020, and Amazon.com, who announced plans to buy the primary care chain One Medical back in June. Ron, what... The, the pharmacies have always had, at least for a while now, have had these little clinics inside of them that have served, you know, a, a pretty decent purpose. You know, you have a rash or something, you step in and, and they can see you and tell you how to treat it. What do you think about uh, some of these pharmacies expanding into primary care offices? 
Well, from a business perspective, um, it makes all the sense in the world. Okay, mm -hmm. they're already yeah. a healthcare location. People know where they are. And when you look back at what happened during COVID, people more than ever started to look at some of these pharmacies, CVS, Walgreens, et cetera, as healthcare providers because they were doing first the testing yep. and then the vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, part of what pharmacies, retail pharmacies work on is what they call pull through business. You know, they don't make that much money on filling a prescription, but how many of us, I've done it, you know, you go, I go into my Walgreens to pick up a prescription while I'm there. Oh, well, let me get this and let me get that. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and that's where they make their, a lot of their margins. Well, the same thing can happen with an urgent care visit or, or, or sort of a, a primary care kind of a visit. No. So it, it makes from a business perspective, all the sense in the world, they get that pull through business. They're going to get more of your prescriptions because you're right there and you go, well, do you want me to have it filled right on your way out? Um, mm -hmm. Makes all sense in the world and incredibly convenient for the consumer, again, which is why they did so much business during the, you know, during the uh, pandemic, first with testing and then with the vaccinations. How does retail involvement in, in primary care uh, differ from private equity involvement? Well, I think one of the things that is we have to be careful about and when we talk about whether it's retail or private equity or whatever involvement in primary care is really segmenting urgent care from mm -hmm. to true primary care. And what I sure. mean by that yes. is, um, you know, my 18 year old son gets an ear infection and I can get him in at a CVS. This, I really, this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm going there. That's not really primary care. That doctor or mid-level isn't talking to him about other potential medical issues like a pediatrician or, or a family practitioner would. Okay. Um, if I have a something and I go in there for a sinus infection or whatever, that's different than me going to my internist who wants to talk to me about my cholesterol and all these other things. Um, I think this fills a wonderful niche for urgent care um, and a very effective niche, et cetera. Now I get worried if it becomes too much primary care because that's really not what it's designed to do. And I think we could lose the value of a primary care physician that knows your history and knows what you're trying to do mm -hmm. and all that because these folks really don't, and they're not supposed to, you know, have that history and know your, so as long as it's urgent care, I think it's potentially wonderful for all concerned. If it starts to really get into what they, what primary care should be, that could be problematic. And that sounds similar to the concerns you raised when we discussed telehealth on a previous program. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely, and it's it's a very similar issue, is, is there's no continuity there. Um, it's not designed to be, you know, helping people with more longer term um, medical issues, which you know primary care is very good at, you know, things like diabetes and hypertension and cardiac risk and that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, as long as they sort of stay in their lane, I think it can be very good. One of the surprising ones to me was Amazon.com's announcement that they were going to purchase uh, One Medical for about $3.9 billion. And that was an all-cash purchase uh, that included One Medical's debt that they currently have. Um, interestingly enough, CVS was also thinking about um, purchasing One Medical at, at one point. And uh, apparently they passed on that, obviously, because as Amazon has announced to buy it. And they've got um, partnerships with different hospital chains, including Mount Sinai Health System in New York. Uh, so if someone comes in and they need specialty care, they 
they will send them to Mount Sinai as opposed to a different hospital. They usually do the fee-for-service, but it's my understanding that they've also been transitioning um, more to quality metrics, especially after they had uh, purchased a, a, a some sort of Medicare thing. I was trying to follow that, and I couldn't quite mm-hmm. um, see that. What do you think of someone like Amazon.com purchasing, because they don't have retail stores, unlike CVS or Walgreens. What do you think of someone like Amazon.com purchasing a primary care chain? Um, and is that also similar to the private equity quote-unquote problem yeah it it is a little bit okay because it you know you're right they're not that's not in their normal wheelhouse you don't have the the easy business synergies with like a cvs health expanding because you know Mm -hmm. that's just offering another service that complements other services so i don't know from amazon's perspective whether this is purely an investment i mean lord knows amazon has enough cash on their books they need to get some of it off or whether they think there's some sort of tie there which could be Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, Amazon could get into other parts of healthcare, namely prescription delivery stuff, mm-hmm. um, where that would have some synergies to it. Um, or Amazon just may think they, you know, they've got the the secret sauce to make anything better, cheaper, faster, which you know, so far they seem to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is a bit problematic if there's somebody that's not already in healthcare that just sort of jumps into it. What are they going to do with it? What's their goal? What's their purpose? Do they understand it? Um, you know, one medical had a fair amount of debt and it has a lot of bricks and mortar. And mm-hmm. so this was a, an obvious logical move for them to, you know, to sell to Amazon. What Amazon does with it remains to be seen. And we'll be right. watching that closely. And it's interesting, too, because I believe earlier this year, Amazon announced that they were going to be closing what few retail stores they did have. Um, You know, some of the shopping malls around the country Mm -hmm. had, you know, Amazon stores where either you could buy the top products are sold on Prime or you could buy Amazon products like, you know, the Fire TV and and stuff like that. Um, Now, I do want to keep in mind, they do own the the Whole Foods um, retail chain, mm-hmm. um, which is available most of the country. So they do, they do have that. And there was another one I saw that surprised me that they owned, but I didn't realize. Um, do you think that this, do you think C, excluding Amazon, but do you think with CVS and Walgreens wanting to expand into a primary care field that it's going to hurt, you know, hospitals based primary care groups or independent primary care groups? Well, I think it may hurt those that don't sort of change and adjust for the time. Uh, to the times. I, I think the, the smart ones, both at an independent primary care and, and hospital-based, et cetera, should understand that really what they should be doing is applauding urgent care um, and trying to partner with it, just like Mount Sinai has done for the, for the ongoing referrals. So for example, you know, if I'm a primary care group, I don't want to see a bunch of the sinus infections and the ear infections you know, I mean, that's not really where my Mm -hmm. value is. My value is having that relationship to somebody who says, you know, um, you know, assume I'm an internist, somebody can call me and say, Hey, Ron, you know, I saw somebody in here today for, uh, you know, for a, uh, a sinus infection and while taking their blood pressure, it was highly elevated. And I talked to them and they said, they haven't seen a, a primary care doctor in two years. And I'm concerned that maybe their cholesterol is high and they're hypertensive. Can I refer them over to you? Absolutely. Those are the mm-hmm. patients I want and the patients where I can produce the most value, you know, because that's that patient that I can get in and say, you know, hey, you're pre-diabetic, your cholesterol is too high, you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're staring down the barrel of a heart attack in a few years. Let's work on that and get those things fixed. Um, 
so the folks who sort of adjust and realize that you know getting rid of that stuff that is episodic and getting more into the primary care patient disease state management and wellness management is where it's at for them those are the ones that are going to win um mm -hmm. and like i think that's what mount sinai is doing it's saying i don't want the little stuff send me the stuff i have to have or need you know and you know i think that's a that, speaking of, of getting with the times i think that that's a move that you know some primary care physicians have made in other areas too like mm -hmm. for example mine i know um if it's just a question they have they offer telehealth appointments now if there's not a particular you know if there's not an issue i have to go in and get looked at i can still meet with my doctor over telehealth whereas that is a is as we've talked about is a more effective use of telehealth medicine than you know calling up someone that your insurance provider contracts uh to get a prescription for what you need um how does the C, you know, we all have different hospital clinics, sometimes in strip malls, different retail settings. I know where I live, we've got Beaumont and Henry Ford all have, you know, their own little sort of retail area where you can walk off the street and walk in. How do you think the CVS and Walgreens clinics are going to be different from that? And uh, would one be better than the other? Well, anytime you get into a retail environment, which is what this really is, mm -hmm. um, the differentiation is going to be made on the ability to serve the consumer. And, and I'll give you a perfect example. So, you know, when I was looking for an appointment for my son's ear infection, I could go online and, and whether it's CVS or Walgreens or any of these around me and say, all right, where's the next appointment? And they could tell me where it was over multiple locations. It was easy. Sure. Yeah. I could schedule it online. I could fill out the thing. I walk in you know, bang, put my card in, they already know who's there, we're in, we're out, you know, it, it became a very easy thing to do, which is two things. One, takes for me less time away from my job. Mm -hmm. And two, it gets him relief faster. Okay. Yeah. Now, the same ability to do that same process with one of my local hospitals who has some urgent care clinics is nowhere near the same experience. It's not nearly as easy. They don't have the, you know, the website, the app, all that other yeah. stuff. So, you know, the question becomes who can meet the consumer's needs better, cheaper, faster. Going back to, that's what Amazon did. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Amazon doesn't sell anything that you can't buy anywhere else. They just did it better, cheaper, faster. And, yeah. you know, that's what happens. Um, and it'll elevate the game. So, um, you know, I think that's how the major difference is going to be between a CVS and Walgreens and potentially a hospital. Do you think that they're going to get in, more into that, um, you know, online booking appointments and, and, and stuff, uh, the hospitals that is like if they have a if they have a more retail location like an urgent care, do you think they're going to be able to start offering those kinds of appointments online in response to how the pharmacies are growing? Well, they're going to have to. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, when you when you talk and I, again, comparing to what Amazon revolutionized the retail purchasing environment, you know, there's a reason why, you know, stores that in my childhood, we're a mainstay, Sears, Sears yeah. Roebuck. Mm -hmm. And you got the big volume catalog every Christmas that like was like a telephone book. Those don't exist because that's not how people shop anymore. I don't want to necessarily have to go to the place. The, the other companies that maybe still have that retail physical location have all learned that you can do it online. Mm -hmm. And we now have, you know, I can- And they have I to do buy, it online. Yeah, I can buy from Home Depot and just order it and then pick it up at the store or have it delivered. So if they're gonna to wanna to compete in that retail space, they're gonna to have to do the online stuff. They're gonna to have to do what the consumer wants and do it better. Um, otherwise, they're not gonna get that business. One thing we've 
we don't normally I don't normally ask this question of you were on the show, but it's something that um, you know it should be asked when we make big decisions about healthcare. And that is, do you think decisions like these, you know, re- pharmacies opening up primary care clinics, is it going to make Americans healthier? Um, I think in general, again, this is if it stays in its lane, I would not recommend anybody use, and this is nothing against the practitioners there, sure. a CVS or a Walgreens for true primary care, managing your diabetes, managing hypertension, you know, any of that stuff. Um, I wouldn't recommend using them in, in lieu of a pediatrician for your children going through immunization, et cetera. So, but if they stay in their lane to, to um, urgent care and, and it's more convenient, easier to get in, et cetera, yes, because a lot of these things that if addressed early just get worse if you let them go. So, you know, if if I couldn't, if I were in a situation where I couldn't get my son's ear infection treated quickly and, and easily like that, and I have to let it go, you can burst an eardrum. Yeah. You can, you know, mm-hmm. some of these things will, will, will move into other things. In addition to that, urgent care often picks up other things that wasn't in the intention. You know, my, my conversation about the, you know, the high blood pressure person, that's what that happens. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know my blood pressure's high. I mean, I, um, and this is a true story. Years and years ago, I was, when I was working for Cigna in another state, we had a health fair at an employer site. You know, and we have nurses there and everything and just come by and we'll talk to you about this, talk to you about that. Well, they had a blood pressure screening. Um, and this guy sits down and says, yeah, you know, put the cuff on me, see what. And the nurse puts the cuff on him and takes the reading and gets this odd look on her face. And she said, would you please remain seated? And he said, why? And she said, because I have to call 911. Mm-hmm. He was in an OR the next day having cardiac surgery. He had no idea. His blood pressure was through the roof. He had weird, you know, heart rhythms, et cetera. So, you know, this guy may be alive because he just out of a whim got a blood pressure read. Well, you know, if you've got millions and millions of urgent care visits, that stuff happens every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, again, as they, if they stay in their lane, yes, I think it makes Americans healthier, healthier. As uh, we discussed in the last segment, cost is a big issue on the mind of Americans right now, particularly healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. Do you think something like this is going to drive up, um, insurance premiums, stuff like that? In general, I would say no. Okay. Uh, and there's a, there's a push pull here. So one of the things we know is that the easier you make it to have access to healthcare, the more healthcare will be consumed. And so are there people who are gonna end up in an urgent care setting um, that really didn't need to be there and really don't need anything? Sure, probably to some some degree, okay? But Mm -hmm. the vast majority of the people that are there need some amount of healthcare. Um, And it is, more efficient and less expensive. If you just look at and take a, a CVS, their minute clinics, the cost of that space and the efficiency at which they use the um, employees there um, is much less expensive to produce an office visit than it is for a doctor's office with everything that comes with that. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully what this will do is shift things out of a doctor's office into a minute clinic type setting so that those doctor's offices can use their resources to handle more serious things, which is what they need. And it will not have to expand the capacity of, you know, of 
what we think of as the standard physician office as much. Hopefully telemedicine, if it stays in its lane, does that same thing. Mm -hmm. So if those things happen, then yes, I think overall it will reduce the cost of healthcare. You had written previously at, at flatlining.net about an instance where United Healthcare was going to start um, rating, quote unquote, rating radiologists on their website about, you know, which one would be, you know, it would have a gold star or silver star or whatever the, the rating was. And what mm-hmm. we pointed out was that really the quality metrics that they had set out meant nothing. And it boiled down to cost for the insurance company. Do you think we could see something like this that will really incentivize, um, you know, insurance companies? Do you think, um, let me start that over. Do you think we're going to see um, insurance companies try to incentivize patients to not go to their more expensive primary care physician for things they really should, but instead going to some of these um, smaller minute clinic-like things? Um, potentially. Um, it's difficult because you've got to find the right incentive. And, and we've not sort of hit on that to a large degree previously. Um, and what I mean by that is there's already a bunch of incentives, mainly in the benefits, you know, mm-hmm. um, to go to a cheaper setting. I, you know, if I go to an emergency room, it costs me X. If I go to an right. urgent care, it's less than that. My doctor's office, even less. Um, the problem is a lot of healthcare decisions are based on other things, you know, not sort of financial incentives. So right. there's a potential to have it happen, you know, Again, one of the things the insurance companies, as far as incentivizing going to a minute clinic versus a, a doctor's office, is they don't want to incentivize unnecessary utilization. They mm-hmm. want to incentivize utilization that um, is appropriate to shift, but also they also don't want to incentivize people not going to their doctor for things they should be at their doctor's mm-hmm. office for. So it's a really difficult balance. And so it's potentially that could happen, but I, I don't think it's going to happen to a huge degree. I think it's going to be more driven by the consumerism approach of this is what I want and when I want it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, another a thought I just had was that my, you know, with our particular insurance with Fulcrum, we have a different uh, co-payment for when you see your primary care physician versus when you go to an urgent care. Do you think mm-hmm. these will be more classified as by the insurance companies as urgent cares as opposed to a primary care physician, even if they're marketing themselves as a primary, primary care physician? Well, and you, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah. most of these really don't qualify for what the, you know, for what the payers would need it to happen to be called primary care because they don't, you know, have a panel of patients that are there. Some of them don't qualify for other sort of credentialing reasons. Not not that they're providing bad care, but the, the mm-hmm. hoops that you need to jump through to be called primary care. So to a large degree, they don't want to be called primary care in the eyes of what the insurance company, but they want to market themselves as primary care mm-hmm. in the eyes of the consumer. And they'll do that, and that's fine. So, um, I, you know, from all the data I've seen, I, I really don't think most of these are being tr- used by the consumer as true primary care. People aren't using these minute clinics in lieu of their pediatrician for immunizations and well checks and stuff like that. You know, most adults aren't using them in lieu of a internist to manage their hypertension or those kind of things. They're using them in the right way. And, and I think as long as we keep doing that, they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about this and, and compare it with some other kind of more recent, you know, last 20 years healthcare innovations. Uh, we already kind of talked about telehealth and, and you mentioned the, the Amazon thing of doing it better, faster and at cheaper. And they have done an online pharmacy now, um, mm-hmm. which I... I mean, I don't know if I could go with my doctor asked me what pharmacy I want to use. I don't know if I could say Amazon Pharmacy because usually I still pick the retail location that's closest to me. 
Um, but they do have that. And in fact, I did notice the other day that they had, um, we were talking about GoodRx a few weeks ago. They have their own version of the GoodRx card um, that goes through Amazon.com instead, which I thought was uh, rather interesting. And I do know the, his name's escaping, but the owner of the Dallas Mavericks has talked about um, investing and in starting his own online, you know, home delivery pharmacy uh, that supposedly would be, he thinks it would, would revolutionize the pharmaceutical industry. I don't know how it would possibly do that. Yeah. Um, but more interesting ones, um, now as a way of making things convenient, big grocery store chains, uh, Walmart, Kroger, Meyer, they all have pharmacies in them now. Um, I w- wouldn't be surprised if they expand to have these sorts of clinics as well. Uh, that was That's a pretty good Im- improvement, pretty good innovation, I think, for, for healthcare. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, when you get into the pharmacy area, um, A, it's a massive market. So the more money that's flowing through an economy, the more people are going to look at getting their taste of it. So that's why we're getting all this interesting, you know, um, people taking a look at it. Um, but it's also so broken. Right. That, you know, it, 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 you almost can't help but fix it by, you know, almost randomly. I mean, and, and you know, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavs, that's yes. why he's looking. Cuban. Yep. He's a smart guy. He's made a lot of money in a lot of different businesses. So if Mark's looking at it, I, you know, I'm not going to just completely discount it because, you know, he, he's figured an awful lot of things out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing with Amazon and their online pharmacy and same thing with other pretty, you know, everybody wants a taste of it because it's huge. And everybody looks at it and go, well, that's broken. This is going to be easy to fix. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think we're going to see some pretty revolutionary changes to the whole pharmacy system because of how big it is and how more and more people are realizing how broken it is. I did want to run by what I probably think is the most futuristic innovation that I've seen in a little while. And that was the announcement that the Walgreens Boots Alliance, which is Walgreens in the U.S. and, and Boots Pharmacy in the U.K., were announcing they were they wanted to start doing drone delivery, um, and they, with their testing, they weren't going to be doing prescription drugs because that didn't, you know that creates a little bit of a safety concern of how to you know change that. But they were going to start delivering other items you could buy in their pharmacy over drones, um, with the eventual goal of doing uh, prescription drugs delivered by drone to your home. Just out of curiosity, Ron, what do you what do you think about? Would you have a prescription delivered to your home via a drone? Well, there, there's a couple of hurdles, um, drone <laughs> yeah, delivery of prescriptions. Few, yes. <laughs> yeah. One of them is in, in many states, it's illegal, you know, because mm-hmm. you have to verify the, you know, the uh, um, identity of the individual receiving the medication. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, in many states you have to, it's why you always get the question, you have any questions for pharmacists, you have to have that as an option. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's some hurdles around, around prescription delivery by drone. Um, that being said, I do think that, um, there's going to be advances and, and revolutions in how prescriptions get delivered because there is a fair amount of prescriptions that are ongoing maintenance drugs Mm -hmm. and it lends itself well to that, whether that's an Amazon type delivery or whether it's drones or anything else. I mean, we're going to see that expand more and more which, you know, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know right now if I'm ready to get a prescription delivered by drone, but then again, I'm not ready to get much of anything delivered by drone <laughs> right <laughs> Right now. I want to wait and test that a little bit. Um, but, you know, years ago I said I would 
not ready to get an electric car and I'm almost there. So, yeah. you know, just mm-hmm. give me some time. And well, you know, I will say at least one benefit would be uh, only because I've experienced this firsthand is that if the uh, the drone's having a bad day, they're not going to chuck my package into my bushes. True. Uh, yeah. 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 That's, that's there's the one no ex- emotion behind it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I I also am old school and I, you know, it's the convenience factor of, oh, I need other things. I'll go pick them up while mm-hmm. I'm out getting my prescription. I like that. But, you know, it's it seems to be the world is, is moving on as, you know, yeah. things do. Yep. Uh, finally, how would you put this in our healthcare equation of affecting quality access and affordability? Well, this is one of those areas where, you know, you you can, and again, the devil's in the details of how it's done. Right. All of this can hit the trifecta. You know, we've talked about how things like, a, you know, a minute clinic or whatever can improve access clearly. It can potentially improve affordability because they can produce at a lower cost. And if I can get to healthcare when I need it, as opposed to putting it off another night and potentially it being worse, it can improve quality. You know, perfect example is when we think about the, the pandemic, you know, this kind of access to healthcare helped with testing, it helped with immunizations. Mm-hmm. And now it's helping with some of the oral medications where you've got to take them within that first five days. So if you think about somebody with, you know, testing COVID positive and maybe it's day three and I finally tell, oh crap, I'm positive. Now I've only got two days to do this. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if I can get into a minute clinic and then can go, yep, you know, I see that you're positive and, you know, here's the deal. I'm going to write the prescription, get it on your way out, take it before when you get home. That's a scenario we know that those drugs work better the earlier you catch them mm-hmm. in your COVID experience. All right, well, that's better quality, better access and better affordability. Right. And it definitely reduces cost versus me letting it go. And then I being one of those unfortunate ones that has to go to the hospital. So this may be one of those areas where innovation creates the trifecta. Now, it also can go horribly wrong if they sort of get out of their lane and start doing things they shouldn't. Right. So in in some circumstances, it could be the golden goose that we've been looking for. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we want, to, we want to hear from you. So if you have feedback about any of this, if you would have your prescriptions delivered by drones, please do uh, let us know. Send me or Ron a tweet. I'm at Radio Handley, and Ron is at Ron Howergan. You can also email us at flatlining at substack.com or put your comments on the show page at flatlining.net. We do want to hear from you, and maybe we'll read your comment on the program if you get it back to us in time. Ron, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on today. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. And in our final thought today, we're turning to the great state of Michigan. That's where I currently reside. Last week, a judge declared a mistrial in a civil case about the Flint water crisis after a jury came back deadlocked. In this case, two private engineering companies are facing a lawsuit brought by four children who lived in Flint during the crisis. For those of you who don't remember what happened, uh, here's a recap. During a budget crisis in 2014, the city of Flint changed its water source from the Detroit Water and Sewage Department, which treats water from the Lake Huron and Detroit River, to their own source from the Flint River. And during that switch, uh, they started using old pipes, and because of that, lead from those pipes started contaminating the drinking water. And a study from Cornell University and the University of Michigan found that it created a public health crisis. They found that 40% of respondents to their survey experienced symptoms associated with elevated levels of heavy metals in their water. The current trial has been billed as a bellwether, meaning it could set precedent for dozens of other lawsuits that are brought against these engineering companies. 
While a victory or a settlement may bring justice to this and other families, I'm not sure how it will bring justice to the city of Flint. It was once the second largest city in the state, but numbers from the 2020 census came back and it's bleak. It's plummeted to the 15th largest city. Voters in Flint voted with their feet, as in they packed up and left. And I doubt that a settlement or a victory in this trial will bring them back. The Flatlining Podcast is a production of Flatlining.net and Fulcrum Strategies. Copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Be sure to subscribe to the Flatlining Podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, sign up for my weekly e-newsletter at flatlining.net. For Ron Howergan, I'm Matthew Handley. Have a good week. Thank you.